1: Welcome to The Waking Dream, a PoppyChulaRadio.com original series. Poppy Chula Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Thursday, September 22nd, and I am your host, Vincent Hatcher. During this special and bonus podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion of Netflix's The Sandman. Please welcome my co-host, Jeffrey Welcome Aruz, back, dreamers. And Priscilla Obregon.
0: Hey, everybody. woot! Let's jump into our
1: discussion of season one's bonus episode 11, which was titled Dream of a Thousand Cats and Calliope and debuted as a surprise on August 19th, 2022 via Netflix. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. In this two part story collection, a Siamese cat dreaming of a new world and a writer in desperate need of inspiration cross paths with Morpheus. So we have a two-fold story here, my friends. This was a bonus episode that drew two stories that are well-known from the comics and did a little mini anthology episode. Our first story was a very surprising departure from what we had come to be familiar with in the story in that it was animated. We had an almost like realistic animation going on where it was like, is it real life? Is it cartoon or is it both? And we were introduced to a beautiful little kitten who was being put to bed by its human owners. The kitty got sleepy, and when it came time for night to be at its peak, another cat came along to ask our kitten friend to join him on an adventure. Together, they walked, and as they were walking, they were talking, and other curious cats were walking past them. It was clear they were going to see her. But who was her? Well, we will find out. All of these cats, hundreds of them, are gathered in a graveyard at night. We've got cats falling off tombstones. Climbing up trees. Meowing. And then they all go quiet. When a beautiful white cat. Who is very clearly purebred. Stands above them. On top of an angel. In a very dramatic pose. It's actually I thought it was beautiful. Uh, and she begins to share her story. She like them. Lived in the human world. She thought she was much loved. And worshipped and adored. And she had a beautiful home to live in, and she ended up falling in love with a tomcat from the wild. And they got a little kitty-kitty going on, and after that, she became pregnant. And that is when her world came crashing down. Our kitten friend here, she had her children. She was nursing them calmly in the closet. She was excited to give them a new life that she wanted to make everything perfect for them, and she was going to make sure they knew they were loved, they were taught how to hunt, and they were just the best cats the cats could be. But her parents were not so thrilled. The human father was not happy that his purebred kitten ha- or cat had bred with a wildcat, destroying the breed of the kittens. And unfortunately, in what was very heartbreaking for me, the story continues in that the human father took her kittens, tied them into a sack and drove to a frozen lake, and threw the kittens in the sack, and we watched the sack descend into darkness, and our narrator said that she felt them. She felt them crying, she felt them mewing in the darkness, they couldn't see, they were cold, and it was a nightmare, and she felt them one by one, their lights were extinguished, and they died. This took her to a great, deep, dark depression, And also a place of anger because she didn't understand why did the humans that took such great care of her do this? What was the purpose of it? And so she dreamt and she prayed to find a reason why. And this took her to the dreaming where we have all been before. And as we know from what we saw in Sandman, the dreaming is a wide and amorphous place that always changes. And our kitten friend, she walked I keep calling her a kitten. She's a full-grown cat. I just like calling them kittens, just FYI. She walks through winter. She walks through night. She walks through heat. She walks through every possible temperature imaginable, and she never leaves the path. A skeletal vulture warned her that if she left the path, she'd get lost. And even when she heard her kittens mewling and crying for her in the forest, she did not falter, and she approached a cave. Out of the darkness, there was a cave guarded by three statues who mocked her and questioned whether or not she was worthy. And she told them, I need to see him, and I will only tell him, the cat of dreams, my purpose. And after some deliberating, some pretentious deliberating, the statues let the cat in, and we were introduced to Morpheus in a new personification. As in the series, when we saw him in hell and he walked past the jail cell of his old lover, he was viewed as something completely different than what we were used to seeing. And in this instance, he was a giant black cat lurking in a cave. And he asked her what she wanted. Even though she knew the dreams come with a price, even though she knew that she may not want to know, she still decided she needed to know. And she asked him, What is the purpose? Why is it the way that it is? Why did they kill my children? And Morpheus, the cat of dreams, told her that once there was a world where cats were giant and humans were as small as mice. And the humans lived to serve the large cats. They hunted them, they groomed them. Well, the cats hunted the humans like cats hunt mice. The humans groomed them and worshiped them. And it was beautiful. It was almost like dinosaur Catland, Jurassic Meow. And then one human who got tired of it stood up after having a dream and he spoke to his brethren and his sisters and he told them, we should all dream. We should all dream of a world where we are in power, where we are not the victims. Sound familiar? Because it's kind of like what our cat friend is trying to do now. And that dreaming, that mass dreaming of the humans... Caused the world to suddenly change. The world of giant cats was no more, as if it never had been. And now the cats found themselves diminutive in stature compared to the humans. Their lives were suspect to the whims of their human masters. And what she took from this was that if I want to change, I need to make a dream happen. And so this cat now travels from place to place, preaching to cats across the world and challenging them to dream of a world where no cat suffers, where all cats are happy. They can live their lives. They no longer have to be afraid of their kittens being taken and murdered or lost or going without food. And the little kitten that we met at the beginning, who has been here the entire time, as our cat preacher is walking away, he walks up and he says, Mistress, I believe And she turns and looks at him with a little bit of melancholy and a little bit of hope and tells him that's good. Maybe things will come to pass. And that little kitten goes home full of passion and he falls asleep. And in the morning, this little vignette ends with his owners watching our little kitten dream of a world where cats are happy, where they can hunt as they want and they can live free and run free while his owners say how cute he is. All right. So let's talk about this cuz this was an interesting departure. This was a fascinating artwork departure as well. So I want to hear what you guys think of it. Jeff, start us off.
2: This was a beautifully animated uh mini episode cuz the story uh, you know really just encompassed I think 15 or so minutes of screen time. Uh this was the smaller segment of this bonus two episode anthology style special edition of the Sandman uh, but it was neat to see that Morpheus once again is interpreted differently in different uh, with the different cultures but this is now different species so the fact that they have a dream cat king in the feline world is incredibly fascinating. Uh, It also was interesting to see Morpheus basically not really having a stake in anything, per se, because we've seen Morpheus as a, um, well, appearing human. I know he's not human, he's an endless, but he appears human when you know, in in what we've seen him, because he's been dealing with humans, so now he's there as a cat, and we see that he's basically telling this cat, you know, you can you can dream, you can do whatever you want. If if you know a certain amount of cats dream it, it will come. Um, yeah. So I guess maybe if they dream of a baseball field, it would be much easier. I was just gonna say yes. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so that was interesting because you would think, because we've seen him deal with humans, that he would be rooting for the humans, but no, he's like, come on cats, y'all can dream it, y'all can be giants and that sort of thing. Uh, it's fascinating that he, that he's like telling, you know, this cat, this story of like the cats being in power and that sort of thing, but because the humans dreamt. You know, it, it maybe just a thousand humans dreamt. Then all of a sudden, the human world happened, and and this whole cat being like cat world where the humans are like teeny tiny, and the cats are feeding on the humans and all that stuff. You know, that has disappeared, and it's almost as if it didn't exist because the humans rewrote rewrote everything. Like all of that was like really fascinating because I'm like can you really trust anything Morpheus is saying? Because I don't even know if I buy any of that. But, you know, having this cat who had gone through the worst thing ever, because I'm not even a cat person, and I was like, damn, when I saw that happen. And, uh, like, having that cat go through, like, the worst thing ever, and then, you know, visiting the dreamland... And inspiring her to get this dream to come true. I was like, good grief, little kitty. Like, you've got... You've got... uh, um...
1: Way to take on the world.
2: Pardon? said, way to take on the world. Exactly. But she's... I mean, she's got this dream and this passion that's apparently fueling her. She's going from town to town, you know, alleyway to alleyway, telling her story so that it could happen... Uh, that little kitty. See, I did not understand that little kitty. I'm like, that little kitty looked like that kitty had the best life ever, but that little kitty wants to eat eats, um, their, their, um, owners, apparently. I was like, good grief. The way that it ended with the chomp and like, you know, that sort of like nefarious music, I was like, Ooh, that's a little dark. But I mean, this 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 whole installment, as beautifully animated as it was, and as much as as it was about cats, was a very dark installment. Agreed, it really was. Like I did not expect. I mean, I knew the stories,
1: but it had been years since I had really been familiar with them, and I forgot like how dark it could be. <laughs> ah. and you know, the moment that you you said species, I, my mind, because of the way it works, I immediately it was like, so does that mean to like. The Natasha Henstridge species that Morpheus shows up looking like a male version of her.
2: Yeah. And, <laughs> and they make love. Because there was and a they... lot of alien sex in that one.
1: <laughs> Priscilla, tell me your feelings about the kitties.
0: So this episode hit hard for me because I just got a cat. And I was like, I can't let this my cat watch this. Oof. He's going to get Oof. ideas. He's going to start dreaming of eating me and being giant and then the world's gonna change and I don't want that as a human even though god it broke my heart the freaking scene with the babies in the bag I was like <laughs> I knew it was coming but it still like it hit me like a punch to the gut. I was oh I was like how cruel is he and I think even Crueler's his wife because she realizes what's gonna happen, and she just lets it happen. And she's like, "Oh, okay, well, I accept it." Like, what? These both people are right terrible. I don't know. Like, and I loved the the journey she had, and the fact that she was strong even in the even when she heard the voices of her children. Like, can you imagine going through so much? Like. In this journey, like traveling so far and hearing like the one voice, like or voices, in case because this is kitties, like that you miss because they're dead, and you have to ignore them because you want to find clarity. Like wow, I, I I saw I saw her at the end talking to the little kitty, and I was like, wonder if she sees like her children in his eyes. Like it it just it brings up a lot of like. It, it, it's, it's heart-wrenching. It's really good. And I will say, the voice actors, damn, they got a lot of A-list people. It's good.
1: Yeah. I mean, this whole little segment for me, I mean, I'm a huge cat person. I have multiple cats in my household. I love them. I've had a cat every part of my life for the most part. I think there's only ever been, like, two years in my life where I didn't own a cat. And... Yeah just like watching it. I remember sitting there watching and I, and I could tell something bad was about to happen to the kittens. And I was like, please don't, they won't, they won't show that. What? Please don't show that. Oh my God. They're showing it. Oh God. They're drowning. Oh God. Like it just, it it hits you in the feels like so hard. And I actually teared up. Like I, the sound of the kittens meowing and just her, the, for me, I think what hit harder was the scene after when she was laying by the fireplace and the parents are like, she's better off. She doesn't even know they're gone. It's like, wow, your ignorance is astounding. And I agree. The wife being so passive was in a way crueler because both of her parents failed her. But I feel like the wife failed her even more because she didn't put up a fight. She put up this like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, you dumb bitch. You know what he's going to do and you're not stopping him. Like, I think I actually yelled that at the screen when it happened. But uh, no, this was a beautiful segment. Like it, you know, coming out of the end of the main series. With its happyish ending, this definitely took it to a dark place, but not in a bad way. It, it really did give us a little window into other aspects of Morpheus's duties and the type of things that he deals with, and I I found it fascinating to see, uh, you know, an animal aspect of it, you know, he, how he per- is perceived by these cats, and the animation was just absolutely hands down phenomenal and I really really enjoyed it I thought it was beautifully executed and just overall like I kind of wanted the segment to be a little longer but for what it was it was really well done I absolutely adored it any other comments on our kitty section before we talk about the calliope of it all
2: I just want to co-sign the voice acting I thought everybody did a fantastic job like really bringing the storyline to life especially the main cats you know her voice was incredibly powerful
1: definitely i like that the cats didn't open their mouths to talk either that it was like telepathy i thought that was really cool because you know animals i mean it's cute when they talk but i like the way that they did it with this because it made it more intimate like these are their feelings and these are their thoughts Mm -hmm. mm-hmm
2: yeah yeah i agree
0: it's like when they mention that, like, cats only meow to humans because they think we're stupid kitties that don't understand. And they're <laughs> trying to, like, communicate with us that way. But I would assume that if a cat wants to communicate with another cat, they don't have to meow. They just know. So it made sense to me.
1: Absolutely, because it's such a cat thing to do that it makes absolute sense. I agree. <laughs> so let us leave the world of animation behind and have a jarring transition to 2018 in the real, non-animation world, we see a man who is giving a lecture about writing. And he seems to know what he's talking about. He's talking about controlling the narrative, the characters, how to write, and he's got some apt listeners who are really excited to be there. And he's got a friend who shows up and gives him a gift that she got for him. And he said, oh, you got it? And she's like, yeah, it was a little difficult, but I got it. And he's very excited, and she's asking him about his next book, and he's very tight-lipped. And Richard, or Rick as he will become to known, is not willing to share much more, so he leaves. And then next we follow him to a house in the countryside, a remote house, clearly by someone with money. And he knocks on the door, and he's greeted with a gruff older gentleman asking, who he is, what he wants, and he's asked about his recent writing, and he basically tells the man, "I've got something I want to take to you, and I want you to help me." And what he was given is a massive hair, and the massive hair has power. What power we are about to find out, because the elderly gentleman who is come to be known as Erasmus Fry takes Richard to a secret room where a woman named Calliope is being kept as a prisoner. Now, anyone in our listener base that is familiar with Greek mythology knows that Calliope is a very well-known name in Greek mythology because Calliope was a muse. The muses were daughters of Zeus and they were born with the ability to inspire. Some of them are in music, some of them are in writing, which is Calliope's wheelhouse. And they are meant to basically be divine inspiration for creators. Erasmus was able to capture Calliope and has kept her as prisoner all of these years. And that is how Erasmus became such a well-known and prolific writer, even though now his work is not read as much anymore, it's out of print. But he says that Calliope is the reason that he made all of the money and successfully published all of the books that he did. And Erasmus gives her to Richard as a gift even though Calliope protests and says, you promised to set me free before you die. And Erasmus is all hubbub this and hubbub that and coming up with reasons, but Richard and Calliope are now in a very captor-captive relationship, and Richard leaves with Calliope in tow. She's begged him to release her. He is obviously conflicted because he's holding a woman prisoner, but his desperate thirst for fame and to get his second book published is driving him. You see, Richard published a book. It was very successful. It blew up. And in the past two years, every time he has tried to write a sequel or another book, he has run into the worst case of writer's block I have ever seen. And he cannot write. So as he sets up a lock on her door and he's talking to Calliope, he tells her he has to think. And as he's thinking, he says, you know, I will set you free if you'll just help me. Help me with the one book. Inspire me, please. Please. He begs her and begs her, but she says, "'Ask me again when you free me.'" Very heavily hinting that she would probably help him if he freed her. But Richard, desperately scared, locks her in the room and races downstairs where he immediately starts trying to write, hoping that just by osmosis or symbiosis, something, any kind of osis, something will spark his creative light. It doesn't, he can't write. So next he tries to woo Calliope with presents. He begs her by giving her perfume and candies and a sparkly dress. And she calls him on his shit and is like, so what? You're just trying to bribe me with gifts now? And he's begging her again, and she's begging him for freedom, but he does not free her. They are at a standstill, my friends. And the pressure is on because Richard's agent contacts him and tells him they want the book. You need to produce something. It's been two years. You took the advance money. You have all this time, and you need to produce something to prove that their investment in you was worthwhile. And Richard is like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I totally will. I I will have it finished. I'll, I'll have something. Yeah. Obviously, not having written anything, his desperation reaches new heights. He goes to the room where Calliope is. We don't see what happens, but what we do see next is Richard is writing furiously, and he has a single scratch or cut on his face. So it's heavily implied that he somehow managed to steal the inspiration from Calliope. And he got what he wanted. He writes his book, and it takes off. It does really, really well. And things pick up. His book wants to be made into a movie, or people want to make it into a movie. He's becoming really well-known. He changes his name to Rick without a K. And Calliope, in the meantime, is along for the ride, and she's hating it. She calls for her family for help. And at first, it seems like no one is going to show up. But then Priscilla's best friends show up, the fates. I mean, they're my best friends too, because I love them. The fates are awesome. They show up and we get one of the best views of the fates that we have ever seen. They're not creepy. They're not ominous. They are shrouded in beautiful light in a meadow. And they're talking to Calliope, and they tell her that we wish that we could help you, but we can't. You were lawfully enslaved. You're in a binding prisoner relationship. Sorry, your prayer to us was wasted. But they do point out that the Endless, the Endless might be willing, because they have dabbled and meddled in the past, and the Dream King might be able to help her in this situation, because she did bear his child and they were once very close. So for old time's sake, Calliope could try praying to him. But this is where we also learn that this is taking place during the time, as we know, that Morpheus was imprisoned in Burgess's basement. And so Calliope's like, that's cool, cause he pissed me off, I pissed him off, we haven't talked in thousands of years or whatever, and I'm not gonna pray to him anyway. I would never pray to him. That's like, no, no, beneath me. I don't care what's going on, I'm not gonna pray to Sandman. And so in her stubbornness, the fates leave her, telling her that she might want to rethink things. And everything continues because Rick comes back from a party for his latest book. He's acting much more confident than we've ever seen him. There is a movie deal on the table, and he wants to take himself and Calliope to L.A. He's trying to share the wealth and tell her, look, we've got this great thing. We're going to go to L.A. We're going to have a great life. She is very anxious and upset, just wants to be free. She's having none of it. During this argument, Rick gets a phone call. And he, for the first time, leaves Calliope's door open. And as Rick goes into another room to take the call, Calliope sneaks downstairs. She finds a piece of paper. And as she's writing, she's calling out to Morpheus. And she writes his name down. And she asks him, please call when I call or come when I call you. She's interrupted by Rick, who looks at the letter. And he's like, what is this? And Calliope points out that, hmm... Something, someone, the Lord of Dreams, and Rick isn't having any of it. He's like, eh, whatever, and he burns the letter. Very, very snide looking, very much like I caught you before you could do anything. But as the ash flows out of the chimney, we can actually kind of put together that this is what Calliope wanted, because him burning the letter with Morpheus's name, the ashes and the smoke drift off into the sunset, and then Morpheus comes to visit Calliope. He shows up. They have a taut or tense reunion, but he says that he came because she called, and that he will punish Rick for what he has done. She's not sure how he's going to do it, and Morpheus says he wants ideas. I'll give him ideas. Richard comes home and is greeted by Morpheus sitting in his desk chair, and he asks him calmly and seriously to release Calliope. Rick says, no, there's no way. You don't understand. I have all these needs for her. I can't give up. And Morpheus states again that if it's ideas you want, it's ideas you will have in abundance. And then we go to another lecture, just like we began with, and Rick is talking to his fans, and he's talking about everything under the sun about his books and writing, and he's asked, where do all the ideas come from? And he says, they don't really come from anywhere, they're just there. And he starts spouting off ideas, and more ideas, and he can't stop. He keeps spouting off the ideas to the point that he runs out of the room, claws on the wall until his fingers bleed to write down his ideas. Two of his fans rush in and they ask how to help. And he says, go to my house. There's a woman. Unlock the door. Let her out. Tell her I set her free. And the lady rushes to his home and there's no woman. When she gets to the room where Calliope was, there's a single book on the floor. A book about a candle by Erasmus Fry, which earlier in this vignette, Erasmus had asked Rick, if you can do me one favor, convince publishers to bring my book back out of print. And it is that book that Calliope left as a parting gift, as a fuck you, maybe a little bit of both. And upon the release, Calliope is now clad as a Greek goddess again in in her white gown toga with the olive branch or leaves around her waist. Her and Morpheus share a lovely little conversation and she thanks him for coming. And she asks if maybe one day She can come and see him in the dreaming and they can finally talk about the death of their son Orpheus and Orpheus what he meant to them and Morpheus says, not yet, but someday. And Calliope walks off into the night ready and happy to be free and Rick now can no longer think of any ideas. He's forgotten Calliope's name. He's well again, but will he ever write again? Priscilla. Give me your feelings. What did you think of Calliope?
0: Ah, uh, this is... Can can the mini-episode be your favorite episode? Because this is definitely my favorite episode of The Sandman. It showed... Like, it improved on the comics. Because if you read it, you're just kind of like... Well, this is kind of like... Guy swoops in and saves girl. And girl has kind of no authority. Like, Calliope is just kind of right. like paint dry like there's no personality to her nothing even her like drawing is just kind of lazy but um in this one it's from her perspective it's and dream doesn't come in like the white knight to save the day and she even tells him to like be merciful to him and i don't know like and if I'm recalling correctly, didn't they show the rape in the in the comic series and in this I one they so. like they in this one I preferred it because usually when they show a rape it's like it's gratuitous it's 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 eye porn it's for it's it's for fucked up men it's Game of Thronesy but in this one I think it's even more powerful to show the guy coming down the stairs riding and like a little blood stain on his cheek like. Letting you know that he has done fucked up things, like you don't need to know to 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 see the act know that it happened, and I feel like it gives more power to her like it 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 empowers the scene to her as opposed to making her a victim the entire time, and I don't know i just i i I felt like this is very. Like Neil Gaiman took what was problematic about the, it wasn't even problematic. It's just that it wasn't revolutionary. And he changed the writing to update it to these times. And he just made it better. It's, it all in all, it's oh, amazing. And I'm not just saying that because the fates are back because the fates were amazing. Even though they did jack shit, they were like, you should, you should, we can't do anything for you because. We don't, we don't fuck around with people, they're gross, but you can tell your husband, he messes around with mortals. Like, I, I, when when they said that, I was like, no, poor Calliope. But, uh, is it weird that the actors for Morpheus and Calliope did a really good job of portraying people who were once in love, but who aren't anymore? Like, it, it, they, they play exes so well. Like and that's with him being like kind of Morpheus in that he he doesn't have very much like, em- like em- emotion coming out of his face. But when he did that little like lean into her where they touched foreheads, like it was it's exactly like it's wistful. It's that whole I used to like I I used to know you. We used to be together, and word to the wise for those who don't read the comics. There is a reason that he doesn't want to talk to her yet about about his son, and that'll come up hopefully if we get some more seasons of this of this show. So
1: yeah, yeah, and you know, looking back at the episode, Morpheus is always mopey. I mean, he's basically Robert Smith <laughs> from The Cure. But there was an undercurrent and a charge that was different about his typical mopiness, because it wasn't typical. There was an undercurrent of like. You t- y'all two have some shit. You got some history. And, and it was played differently than the Morpheus that we came to know because he was upset in the main series about his imprisonment, about, you know, learning about humans and all that. But in this, it was very, very good. Like the chemistry between them, I agree, was like a live wire. And both of the actors portrayed that, like, kind of reminiscence of the past underlying all of the anger it's like there's clearly been some shit between you two but there were genuine feelings that are still very much alive buried underneath of it all and this the tragic romance of these two was absolutely beautiful i agree with you 100 percent on that jeffrey what are your
2: thoughts yeah, I pretty much echo everything Priscilla said. Uh, it was a really well-done episode. Uh, once again, you know, introducing us to many new characters, but giving us a lot of different feelings about all of the characters. You know, dislike and uh, enjoyment in others and that sort of thing. Like, I was rooting for Calliope. Uh, I am glad that the uh, rape, the sexual assault, was hinted at versus shown uh when when she was like you're gonna have to take it and then we saw the scene after i was like oh shit he actually raped her for to get inspired which makes me think of like okay then that man had had her captive and she's been captive for 60 years so that's mean that means that that's what she's been going through for 60 years which is like good grief it's completely fucked up Uh, when we saw Morpheus, you know, I was trying to, like, remember, like, when in the timeline this was. I'm like, does he have his humanity? Does he not have his humanity? And so I was like, you know, I was like, what is he going to do? Because if this is fresh out of being freed, then he is going to make that man pay, which he deserved to pay, rightfully so. I was like, good grief, Rip Hunter from Legends of Tomorrow. What the hell have you become since you've left the Wave Rider? Uh, but <laughs> everything about it was such a fascinating story. Seeing the fates in all of their glory, looking gorgeous, not, you know, um, sharing almost like one body, allowing... the the way that the writer sort of, like, allowed them to each have their own character uh, was really beautiful, especially after seeing them so many times throughout the series. I really want to see the Sandman's take on Orpheus and Eurydice. Like, I just find that story, like, I've always found that story so fascinating and incredibly tragic. So uh, my hope, based off of just what Priscilla said... Well, first of all, we have to hope. You know how, like, that little kitten from the previous mini little story? Like, listeners, we all have to hope. We have to dream of a second season because the second season is not guaranteed. But if we get a second season and if we get subsequent seasons, because this is an expensive show, like, I really want to see now, like, the chat and I hope that we get to see the Sandman's iteration, like a, a mini retelling, like a flashback of Orpheus and Eurydice. I think that would be incredibly fascinating. Agreed. I
1: really do hope we get a second season. Oh, that would be amazing. All right. Anything that I missed with either story or anything you guys want to talk about before we go into the MVPs? Well, what about you,
2: Vinny? I feel like you've just asked us. Share. Oh, that's Yeah, I
1: mean, I've kind of interspersed, but I guess I haven't taken the podium myself.
2: <laughs> I'm just so giving.
1: <laughs> this section was a, such a fascinating dark study for me. Having read the comics, and I, I do, Priscilla, I think you're right. I think they did kind of show more or all of the rape in the comics. I like that it was left to the imagination because in ways that's a lot worse because different people are going to envision different things that took place in that room. And, I mean, I know in my mind, I'm just like, it's playing out, and I'm like, yeah, he probably raped her. But there's so much that someone can imagine that could have taken place. And the, the, the love between... Calliope and Morpheus was just so beautiful. You know, we've all had exes. We've all had exes where we ended on good terms, we ended on bad, or we never spoke to them again, regardless, right? You know, or we have exes that come in and out of our lives afterwards. But could you imagine being like thousands of years old, millennia, you know, and having such history and it being that long since you've seen that person or spoken to them? But the gravity of that was present. It was almost like a living being in the room between them. Because they were so, even when they were together in the same room and they were talking, the emotional charge and just the the gravity of their history was present for me, almost like its own character. And Calliope, the actress did such a great job of portraying the futility and the acceptance of the prison that she was in. And her pleas for help were so genuine because even in all of this, she had such faith that if she asked enough, eventually someone was going to say yes. And... Finally, she had to learn the hard lesson that some people, they're never going to give it to you because you ask. You're going to have to take it. And it was very humbling for her, obviously, to reach out to Morpheus, given their history. But in her desperation, you know, she did. But I think at the same time, she always knew that he was going to come if she called. But she wasn't ready to face what was between them, because losing a child is horrible. And, you know... It's easier to just kind of shrug that off when you're an immortal, I guess, and not talk about it. But to have to face that from her desperation and the way that they did it and just the the overall story arc for this vignette was really, really well written. It was well acted. And I hated Rick. Like, in the very beginning, there was, like, five minutes where I was like, maybe he'll let her free. Maybe they're going to change it. Nope, nope, he's an asshole. (laughs) Just, like, uh, by the time it was done, I was like, you deserve to be, like, locked up in a padded cell and be imprisoned yourself. And I thought it was really awesome that they, they did reveal the hint that like Erasmus Fry took his own life shortly after Calliope died or left, you know, he died, uh, by suicide. And that was kind of an alarming thing for Rick to hear. Um, you know, it's a fable. It's the story of, you know, you you gotta, you make your choices and you got to face the consequences. And I think this was a great example of, you know, what desperation drives people to do both Rick and Calliope. And this is definitely one that I'm going to watch again because it is definitely up there. I agree with you, Priscilla, for one of my favorite episodes from this season. And I'm so happy that they secretly did this and they shared it with us because it was such a great surprise.
0: I will add one more thing that we haven't mentioned, but I just need to. Erasmus Fry is a jackass. I'm glad he fucking <laughs> Fuck you. When he, tra- he, he treated her worse than the nice guy did because the main guy was a night was uh i'm gonna put in quotations a nice guy he thinks that by doing feminist things outside does like hides the fact that he's being a total like just a monster and doing terrible things like he thinks the ends justify the means and they don't but Erasmus Fry didn't like he knew he was doing bad things too like he didn't justify it to himself he's like but but." the only thing he said about it is she's not a person it doesn't matter and I'm like so then why were you fucking her what the fuck oh god I, he treated her worse yeah, than you treat uh, animals worse than the little cats were treated like what the fuck
1: yeah it was pretty bad he definitely deserved his fate <laughs> more like E- Ras hole, Miss Fry. <laughs> yes, that. Why do You want a
0: Bedouin? Did they ever explain that? What was that? Why do you want a bezewar?
1: I don't know. I don't think they did explain that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was just interesting. I'm like, yeah. wow, you want a hairball? <laughs> yeah, like I, 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 like I wondered if like was that Calliope's hair or was that like something that he wanted to get something else. I don't think they actually did fully explain that, actually, now that you pointed out.
2: I think it was sort of a MacGuffin, but they did, uh, they spent a moment sort of discussing how, you know, it, it can be, it has been used in rituals and that sort of thing. So I just sort of, in my mind, sort of was like, okay, maybe he wants it for that.
1: Makes sense. I almost wondered if he was trying to get, like, something to make him young again or, like, immortal or something. All right. So it is time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. And because this technically was two stories in one episode, I will leave it up to you guys. You can choose one from either story or you can choose one from each story. But once that character is chosen, they are
2: off the table. So... Jeffrey,
1: you are up. Choose however
2: you choose wisely. Oh, God. The, this, this is an evil game. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Um, I do have, actually, two in mind, but I'm not going to pick two, as even though the temptation is there. But this is very difficult. So I base eeny, meeny, miny. Who? Um... Okay. As much as I want to give it to one character for the second story, I'm gonna go with the prophet. Uh Sandra O oh and that voice. She carried that episode. So much emotion in that cat's voice. She was fantastic as basically the narrator for the first installment. Everything about Sandra O's delivery in dream of a thousand cats was just incredibly powerful. I mean, you mentioned the storyline with Erasmus and everything that happens in the episode Calliope as a fable. I mean, this one was a fable as well. And I mean, and especially so. And it felt like it because it was in that gorgeous animation. But, yeah, I will give my MVP to the Prophet. So the most valuable Prophet
0: is off the table.
1: Priscilla, choose wisely.
0: Oh, you know who I'm choosing. I'm choosing (laughs) Contra. She was so powerful as just, like, someone in trouble. Like, you would think that that would, like, diminish her, make her less, but... She is the goddess of inspiration. And watching this, I was, like, inspired to, like, read my own, like, feminist stories or go back to read Man. Like, it was just, she's so much better than she is in the comics. Like, I, I just, I loved her. And the actress portrays her with such, like, dignity. The situation could turn, like, really pathetic. It could make her look like, I don't know, just a victim. But she's more than that. She's the goddess of muses the goddess of inspiration and she had power but she also had this sense of like compassion that even humans don't have which they're supposed to have they're like the weaker species but she could treat him like nothing she could ask dream to keep the ideas coming and make him like go insane But she didn't. She was better than he was. And she could have been turned into a monster too. But she wasn't. So, yeah.
1: Excellent choice. And I officially now hate both of you. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Because I actually had mine chosen before I came in. And it's not who you might expect. I thought long and hard about this one. Because obviously The Prophet and Calliope were the the go-to, like, most obvious choices. But in retrospect, I'm going with the little kitten from the first story. Even though this kitten did not have a lot of time in the limelight, watching it a second time, I feel like that cat, that little baby cat represents so much in the sense of like innocence and dreaming and hope and just so much positivity. It was a light shining in a very dark tail. It was like a candle on a stormy night in the window. Like the little kitten was already in a home that was full of love and light but was curious and wanted to know these things that were to be told and learn something about the human world. But even then, even though it was dreaming at the end and it was, you know, probably dreaming of that world where the cats are able to hunt humans and all of that, I feel like it was still dreaming with an amount of innocence and hope. And to me, both of these stories, they represented hope above all else. There was hope, and the cat, the prophet, she wanted hope that the world would become a nicer place for the cats, and Calliope hoped for her freedom, and in the cat story especially, it was just so precious when the little kitten went up to her and was like, I believe mistress, and out of both stories, that was the line that resonated in my heart the most, it was just this resounding beauty that I felt in that line, and it was the most impactful, so yeah, I went with the little kitty. All right. Now it is time to rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 dream helms. Point system is allowed. If you found it exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may give it jazz fingers. I'm kidding. You can grant it the coveted golden dream helm. You can also do jazz hands and fingers if you want when you give it the dream helm, but it's up to you. Priscilla,
0: oh, you gave me the hardest part. I'm going to I'm going to split up the the two episodes. Totally. The episodes. Because I have different scores for each, and you knew I was gonna have different scores for each.
1: Oh, I figured. I just figured I'd <laughs> leave it up to you guys to do however you want to do.
0: I loved the cat episode. I felt like it was innovative. Like the art style kind of looked like oil painting, sort of in motion. Like it looked beautiful, and they still look like cats. They didn't look all like cartoony, and she didn't look like Luna from Sailor Moon. For like, it's it's something different. <laughs> But I'm going to say a 10 just because it didn't move me the way Calliope did. Calliope, like, changed me watching that. I felt like a completely different person watching Calliope. I loved how different it feels and how it's got, like, hints to more from the Sandman. And it showed the best parts of Sandman, which is that, morpheus is changing and he's willing to listen now and it showed us relate relationships that he has but beyond just lucian and his ravens so yeah golden awesome
2: jeff i'm overall giving it a golden for both stories it was fantastic from beginning to end Uh, everything about it it was it was it was golden
1: I am going to hop on that train because I thought about rating it separately and then I realized I was going to give both of these stories a golden. So it's a golden all around. I This was such a great departure into other avenues of Dream's existence. And, you know, for a show to tackle something like Sandman, that is, there's so many sub-stories and characters and everything. And... They had to pick a major story arc for the main season, but to give the fans this bonus episode was such a love letter from Neil, and it was so beautifully done. Like, I loved both of these segments. I thought they were absolutely phenomenal, and I will admit, like, the cat one really resonated with me the most because, let's face it, I I have a thing for animals more than I do humans, you know, (laughs) but... Overall, it was from start to finish, I was hooked. I was watching with bated breath, like what was going to happen, even though if I remembered from the comics or not. You know, I thought that visually it was breathtaking for the cat one. And then even the filming on the second one, even though it was real the the backdrops, the sets they were so well decorated and you know she really was in a gilded cage and it was definitely noticeable like she had a nice room. I mean, it wasn't the you know the Ritz or anything, but it was nice and you know his house was really well decorated and, and rich and nice, but she was a princess in a tower and overall both of these stories for me, it was all about hope as I mentioned and hope in a dark place can lead to, You never know. It could be a happy future. It could be a world where humans are played with like mice. It could be many different things. But at the end of the day, it was all about dreams and dreams coming true and hoping that they come true. Speaking of that, thank you again for going on this journey with us through Dreamland on The Waking Dream. May our dreams come true for a season two, because if so, we will be back. Here's our announcer to remind you guys on how you can interact with us.
2: Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Waking Dream
0: and subscribe.
1: Thanks, announcer. My lovely co host please wish our listeners a good night. Priscilla?
0: Don't listen to the prophet, kitties. Don't dream of being cats and being cool to us. We'll be better, we promise.
2: (laughs) Love it. Jeff? Sweet dreams, listeners, and never give up hope, never stop dreaming for a second season. Hell yeah.
1: Good night, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to The Waking Dream via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com backslash archives. Good night, and sweet dreams.